tell you the story about these two kids. They were real trouble kids. They kept getting in trouble all the time, getting in trouble at church. Finally, the mom said, we're going to have to straighten these kids out. We're going to sit them down in the pastor's office one at a time. She drops one of the kids off at the pastor's office, takes the other kid home, and, and the pastor sits him down and says, Johnny, where is God? The boy sits back. He says, nothing. This time he leans forward. Son, where is God? boy looks side to side. He says nothing. Finally, the pastor goes, where is God? Johnny jumps up, runs home, climbs upstairs into the bedroom with his brother. And the brother says, what's that all about? He says, man, we're in trouble this time. God's missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> That's not a real encounter with God, okay? That, but there is, I'm going to read you today a story of a real God encounter. Okay, and this is in Luke chapter 1, and if you've been reading your Bible with us, you know that we're reading the Bible together as a church family, a faith family, and we just got into the book of Luke. That's really exciting. I want to tell you again, jump on board. We have reading um, schedules out in the lobby at, at, at every campus, and so if you haven't been doing it yet today, you can start reading with us and pick up for the rest of the Bible or get the Daystar app and click on the one-year Bible. It will align you right where we are. Okay, and we've been reading in Luke. Now, let me tell you, before you get to Luke 1, let me tell you a little bit about Luke. So Luke is um, written by a man named Luke, of course, and he was one of Jesus' disciples. He saw, uh, you know, that ministry that Jesus performed, and he would write, Luke would write everything he'd heard and seen with his own eyes about Jesus. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the only New Testament, only biblical writer that was not a Jew. And he actually wrote two books, Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts, and both of those books he addresses to a guy named Theophilus. Say that word, Theophilus, strange name. That, that's the name he says, I'm writing to most excellent Theophilus. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. I can't tell you which way this is, but sort of a mystery about the Bible is who did he actually address this to? Theophilus is a Greek compound word, theos, meaning God, phileo, meaning lover. So it's addressed to a lover of God. And so many theologians believe that it's addressed to all of us. But he penned it to most excellent Theophilus because that would sound like a Roman ruler. And so that when it was distributed, no one would tear it up. If they thought it was a church document, they were trying to stamp out the church and they would tear it up. And so he wrote it to most excellent Theophilus to tell all of us thousands of years later that it's for us, lovers of God, but to convince the Romans that it was written to some high-ranking official and you better not mess it up. Isn't that kind of a cool little insight? We don't know exactly who, if that's exactly why he meant it, but he's the only writer, he was a, he was a doctor, and he, he writes, uh, Luke, it's the largest book in the New Testament. And, and he tells of his account. Now, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, and, and this is the first big God moment. Everybody say God moment. This guy, Zacharias, has his first big God moment, and it's recorded in Luke 1 and 8. I'm reading from the message, paraphrase, because there's one little phrase in here I really love how they phrase it. It says, it so happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn in life. Say that with me, his one turn in life. That's the phrase I really want to key on. To enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. Now, now time out just for a minute. You remember, now, even though this says New Testament, actually the real New Testament actually begins at the resurrection of Christ. 
So he's actually in his one moment in life to be able to go into the temple and burn incense. Do you remember that the burning of incense was something they did? They would carry this little thing and it would be a smoke that would rise up in the temple as a barrier between man and God because man's not worthy to be to be face to face with God. How many of you know why we are now worthy to be face to face to God? Through Jesus, right? Because See, Jesus hasn't come yet. And so he's doing this thing. Uh, by the way, it's a beautiful image. You know, that was a sweet-smelling incense they would burn. That was a symbol. Where, where does the smoke go? Does it go up or down? It goes up, and it would rise up, and it was sweet-smelling. Sweet that was God's symbolic way of telling all generations that when you're offering genuine, humble worship, it smells good to God. When we're in here doing what we're doing in worship, when we're lifting our worship up to God, God is in heaven going, and just it's just it's just lifting up to Him, and He's just receiving it. When you're now, if you're up in here, you know I don't like that song. That ain't my style. I want a different kind. And I don't like that singer, and it's too loud up in here. I, that's not you know. I don't know that God really appreciates that a whole lot. I promise you, God has never in heaven one time from a southern gospel singer or a rock and roll worship singer or a tattooed up guy or a guy with his part perfect, whoever He's worshiping. There's never been a moment where God was like, I don't like that kind of music. That's too loud. I don't even like it. It got lights on down there. I'm not going to receive that worship. Never one time. If it was genuinely from your heart, no matter what style or what instrument you used, you may, here's what God did. Watch, watch, watch. God went. And it just smelled good to him. Man, think about that when you enter into the house of God. Whatever kind of place you're in. I mean, I go places I don't like the kind of music either. But man, I just try to focus on God and enjoy that worship and know that God receives it. So, so he's in here and he's doing it the old style, which is not necessary anymore because he can't come before God without this wave offering of incense. Let's pick up the story again. He's burning incense. And then the congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. You ever been in church all by yourself and someone shows up unannounced? Freaky. Isn't it freaky? Like I used to work in an old, old, old church and I, they, they didn't pay very well. I was a youth pastor and um, so the, the cleaning lady passed away and, and I was praying for her to be healed but I also knew that if she didn't make it, I would get to get her paycheck. She didn't make it. And so I was cleaning and uh, somebody can't, it's a creepy old, old church, you know. It's just freaky when somebody comes in in the middle of the night. So let me tell you how freaky it got for this guy. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared to the right of the altar of incense, and Zacharias was paralyzed in fear. Now, here's the first thing. Angels are not fat, naked babies. They are big, giant warriors, man. Like super high with swords of fire, and he freaks out. He paralyzes in fear, but the angel reassured him, Don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and Elizabeth, your wife, will bear you a son. You're to name him John. Now, Zacharias was from the tribe of Levi. You remember, we've been reading about this in the Old Testament that, I, that, that, that Israel had 12 sons, they became the 12 tribes of Israel, and the son Levi, all of his descendants, would become the, the Levitical priest. And so this is why he's a priest. At this time, there are about 20,000 priests, and so it was literally a lottery system, believing that God chose people through this lottery system, and his one time, and he had one moment to come before God. 
This was his one moment, and he's praying for a miracle. If you read verse 7, we, we didn't get to there, but if you read verse 7, it says that his wife and he were old, and, and they were, the, the language suggests they were bent over like this, and they were old and never had children. Now, a priest's job is to minister before God and have children. I mean, that, that's literally his job. That's what the, gen, the book of Genesis says, replenish the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And so for him to not do that was a, was a mark against him, and people would have laughed him to scorn. In fact, it was actually legal for him to divorce Elizabeth, his wife, simply because she couldn't bear children. Some of you women are like, I'm getting so mad with this Bible this year. I mean, just, let me just go ahead and tell you. The Bible is a picture of what life is like before Jesus. That's how messed up the world was. It is not, not everything you read in the Bible about slaves and, and the poor, horrible, poor treatment of women. It's not God's endorsement of this behavior. It's an example of what life is like and why we needed a Savior. And look around the world today. Everywhere Jesus is proclaimed, women are elevated. All minority groups are treated the same. You'll have minority people in, in leadership of companies, women as presidents over countries, because Jesus is the greatest women's liberator the world has ever known. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that the church or the Bible oppresses women. It's a picture of how badly we needed a Savior, and that's what Jesus did. He came to set us all free. And so this man, Zacharias, he loved his wife. He stayed with her all these years. They're very old. And finally, God gives them a miracle and says, you're going to have a son, and your son's name is going to be John, which is very normal for us, but the name of John was very weird back then. It was not a familial name. And so Zacharias says, wait a minute, I don't think his name ought to be John. And the angel says, you know what, I don't think you ought to talk anymore. For nine months, the man cannot speak because he doesn't want the name John. And the first words out of his mouth, nine months later, you read ahead, he goes, his name is John. First words out of his mouth, nine months later. How many of you know God has a way of teaching you things? You can learn it the easy way or the hard way. This is the easy way. I'm glad you're here today to learn the easy way, okay? So this amazing, miraculous thing is going down, and he has his one moment of life. Zacharias has heard no his whole life. Can I be a priest before God? No. Can I have a son? No. Can my wife bear children? No. And finally, he's faithful every day. Even though God's not answered any of his prayers, he keeps doing the things that he's supposed to do. And finally, his moment comes. He gets to go into the presence of God, and an angel shows up, and his prayer is answered. And the, the phrase I loved in the, the New Testament there was his one moment in life. And here's my question to you. Do we all get a one-time-in-life God moment? Like, is God waiting on your moment with him? See, I think you do. I actually, I think you, you get more than one time in life. I think God wants you to have a regular occurrence of feeling his presence, hearing his voice, feeling his leadership, just like the wind pushing you. Some, one of my prayer team uh, members, you know, they pray with, for me every morning before, uh, every, every Sunday morning before service. And, and, and one of the prayer team said, God, I just pray a couple weeks back. I just pray that, that the wind of your presence just pushes the pastor along today. Oh, man, I appreciate it people praying for me. It feels so awesome. That, that visually reminds me, that's what God wants to do. He doesn't want you to have to swim up. He wants to push you in the right direction. But does, does that come to all of us or just priests and pastors? See, I think it comes to all of us. I think God wants to take your mundane life and make it a miraculous life 
where you regularly expect to hear from him and expect miraculous things to be happening in your life, to expect to know that when you get up in the morning, man, I am very clearly fulfilling God's perfect will for my life, and good things are going to happen today. Man, there may be challenges, but I know I'm on assignment from God, and if I go down, God goes down, and God doesn't go down. So I'm not going down. That's the way God wants your life to unfold. And so let's talk about those kinds of God moments. All right, you ready? Say, bring it. All right, here we go. So we're going to start with uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 19, where the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Let's talk about Gabriel. Everybody's heard about Gabriel, right? And, and we know that Gabriel is the same guy who goes on later in this chapter. He talks to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He's the, you know, he's the Christmas Gabriel. But do you, did you know that 500 years earlier, Gabriel shows up to, to speak to Daniel, that great leader and prophet. And he lays out everything that's going to happen in the future. And he says that God's going to send his son, Jesus. And people forget about that. By this time, man, the people of Israel have just thought Daniel was making up stuff. And, you know, they've forgotten what Daniel said. But here's the, here's the key point. God, even though people forget what God says, God doesn't forget what God says. And that's important for you because maybe you don't, you know, you're not Daniel and you're not some guy writing Holy Scripture, but God still said something to you. He made a promise to you about your future, about your health. Maybe he made a promise to you about your children or a relationship. And I want you to know, someone may have forgotten, you may have forgotten, but God doesn't forget. I mean, his timetable shows up right when he's supposed to. And the angel shows up and says, I am Gabriel, I stand, do you remember where he says, I stand? In the presence of God. Is it, is it a coincidence that the one time the angel shows up and the one time Zacharias gets his answer to his prayer is the one time he made it in before God into the holy place? That's not a coincidence. He finally got into God's presence. He finally got to where Gabriel was. And Gabriel talks like, hey, I've been here the whole time. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Here's the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes. God moments come on God's terms. Write that down. God moments come on God's terms. He says, I'm in here the whole time. I stand in the presence of God. You've been waiting. You've been hoping. You've been praying. You've been giving. You've been serving. You've been faithful all this time. And you finally got your moment. And so I wanted you to know I've been here the whole time, even though none of his prayers had been answered. Zachariah just kept trying and trying. And the truth is, we all want God moments, miracles, answers to prayers, you know, confidence that this is what I'm supposed to do. Man, you get so many decisions so many choices, and the beginning of your path is so important that you get it right. If you're a young person, man, I was just thinking about the early days of my path and how God put me in the right place with the right people and how the early days of your path lead to so many choices that you're going to make. You want to know that you've heard from God in the early days. You want to know, let me tell you this, you can't have it on your own terms. You know, because sometimes God says, hey, I want to speak to you, but you're going to have to take a step of faith. You're going to have to do something you weren't planning on. You're going to have to take a risk. And you know what? Those are not the ways we want it, man. I want to go to bed at night. I want to do my little prayers at the bedside. And I want to have a little thing with God. Now I lay me down to sleep. I want a vision like to open up over my head and tell me exactly what to do. And God goes, well, maybe, 
but maybe not. Maybe you're going to have to go to Africa and, and go on a mission trip. Maybe you're going to have to be generous in ways that you've never been generous before. Maybe you're going to have to open up your mouth and share the gospel where you work or where you go to school in ways. And those are God's terms. And let me tell you, we can't have God how we want him, where we want him, and when we want him. God's moments come on God's terms when he wants it to happen. And, and here's the thing. If you get in his presence, you got to fight to stay there. Because you have so many things in your life that are fighting for your attention. Man, you've got bitterness. You ever had just a really bad attitude? You just had one of those days where you know it too. Like, raise your hand if you've ever had a day and like you knew, I've got a bad attitude today. Let me give you a, a, a little bit of wisdom about that. You were the last one that found it out. <laughs> Everybody else knew you had a bad day before you knew you had a bad day. And you know, that kind of an attitude, we've all had it, man, I've had it too. That kind of an attitude will keep you out of God's presence. It'll, it'll keep you from hearing like God's talking to you, but you've got a helmet on and everything he's saying is bouncing off your head. Bitterness will cause it that way. You know, if you've got an addiction that you just can't break free from, you just keep going back to that same sin, those things. So, so for you to stay in God's presence will take a relentless decision. Some of the things you need to do is stay committed to his word. That's why I want you reading the Bible. Have you ever noticed that the Bible, if you read it faithfully, the Bible will find you? You know what I mean when I say that? Like, you just be reading, and you're like, ah, I'm supposed to read some more Leviticus today. You're going to kill some more goats or whatever, and let's read. And then, boom, it just says one line in there that just goes right to your life. And you go, how did that happen? I'm telling you, the Bible will find you. Your prayer life will find you. And if you just, day after day, some days the heavens don't open, but then there's that day where, bam, and if you're just faithful, you know what else? God will use small groups. The, the New Testament calls it koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Koin, now you know a Greek word. You know some Greek, you know some African. I'm helping you today. Koinonia. And it means godly familial fellowship. Like it means making you better fellowship. That's why we don't want you to just be a guy or, or a girl that comes to church and, you know, has a hour and a half experience once a week and oh, I did my God thing. Why don't you connect with other believers, know people by first name, trade cell phone numbers, get in small groups. That's koinonia. Man, it, it sharpens you. It, it sometimes you know, kind of is rough and it smooths off the rough edges of your life. All of those things are what helps you stay in the presence of God because why do I want to be there? Because God moments come on God's terms. Here's the second thing about God moments. God moments are often inconvenient. <laughs> you ever heard that old phrase, you know, man makes his plans and God laughs? That is so true. Uh, he, he makes some of the biggest moments in your life come when you were not expecting it. Uh, I remember one, one of my God moments, I was watching Christian television. Sometimes I watch Christian television to get just to fuss at the TV and get mad at preachers and stuff and my wife is like, turn it off, they can't hear you. But I was having a God moment when I was having a just fussing at this preacher. And man, he said some prophetic word just hit me right in the heart. And I don't know what made me more mad if it was like that there I was mad at him and he spoke to me or if it was just that guy, you know. But God moments, God will speak to you through the person you didn't want to hear from. <laughs> He'll speak to you through circumstances. You, and they come at sometimes the worst times. An example of that is, but he will never call you on Sunday during church. So don't even bring your phone in. That's not God. So <laughs> an example of an inconvenient God moment is found in Acts chapter 24. Go with me to Acts chapter 24, verse 25. 
This is Paul before the Roman governor, Felix. Paul is this guy. He's preaching the gospel everywhere. And it says, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You can leave. When I find it, what's that word? Everybody say, convenient, I will send for you. See, Felix just wanted what most of us wanted. God was speaking to him about, hey, you need to change some things about your life. You need to surrender your life to him. And he's like, wait a minute, man, that's scary. I tell you what, I'm going to do all that stuff when I find it convenient. Just get out of my face, and when I find it convenient, I'll change. Here's the thing about God. He does not come on your timetable. He usually comes when it's quite inconvenient for you. Paul knew this very well because Paul had come to Christ when he was on a business trip on the road to Damascus, a blinding light literally blinded him for three days. He had to stop everything he was doing. God comes to him and speaks and says, there's a prophetic word for you. You have been chosen. And, and hey, that would be a good prophecy right there if it stopped. You've been chosen. But he went on to say, you've been chosen to suffer much hardship for God. And you're like, well, that started off good. Went real downhill. So, so Paul knew that, that you know, waiting for a convenient time is just not what God does. And if you read the whole Bible, you'll never hear where Felix ever met Paul again or ever came to faith again. There's nowhere in history that this wrong. There's great historical records of that time. Nowhere in history that Felix, the Roman governor, came to faith. He missed his God moment. I wonder how many of my God moments I missed. Because I was arrogant, I was mad, I was prideful, I was bitter at something. I was in a hurry, I wouldn't listen, I skipped my prayer time, I didn't read the Bible that day. How many God moments have I missed I wonder what that's like. Maybe for you right now, you're praying for something and you're believing for something, but it just doesn't feel right. Can I just caution you that not feeling right does not mean it's not God. In fact, not feeling right sometimes is more evidence that it is God. Because God likes to break free of your expectation. He doesn't like to be... Uh, you know, confined by the way you would do things. You know, you ever say that for a moment, if I were God, I would do so and so. You know, you would do it wrong, I'll just tell you, if you were God. And I would do it wrong. God always breaks out of our expectations. And so maybe God really is trying to do something in your life and, and, and you're, you're like you're bumping your head against the wall and you think that that's a signal that it must not be God's will. What if it is exactly God's will and that wall you're bumping your head against, it's God's will to demolish that wall. What if he's planning on building something even much bigger and much greater in your life and that thing is actually standing out of the way? You know, those moments when God's knocking at your door are not moments for you to check your watch or to check your calendar. Those are moments to throw everything, caution to the wind and say, your will be done in my life, God. Lord, I'm, I'm just waiting for you. Maybe it's a relationship and God's kind of messing that thing up. Don't fight God. Maybe there's something better for you on the other side. Maybe it's a financial deal and it's not working out. Don't fight God. He's got something better on the other side. God moments are rarely convenient. And the third and last thing I want to show you is that God moments are never, never about you. They're about something else, something bigger. You know, if there's one thing I have found about people, particularly young people today, millennials today, believe about 95% when polled said, I believe before I die, I will change the world. 
Now, you can call that arrogance if you want to. I call it faith. I call it God birthing something great in a generation that we've all been praying for for so long. I'm expecting young leaders in our church to change the world. And isn't that true for all of us that we all, nobody here, no matter what your age, wants to live and die. And all you can say is, well, you know, God answered my prayers. I did get that pay raise. God answered my prayers. I did get the rent paid. I didn't get thrown out, you know, uh, you know, on the streets. God answered my prayers, you know, I was able to retire and, and I didn't go hungry. It's, it's, come on, don't you want more than that for your life? Don't you want to know that, man, because of how I lived and because of the steps I took, the world is different because of me? And that's the thing about God moments. If all of our God moments are, God, please help my car not to break down, Lord. Please help me to answer right on this interview. God, please take care of my children and keep them safe. If that's all our God moments are, you, 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 what you're going to do, you're going to find out that God doesn't like to partner in small things. God likes to do big things. I, I, I got convicted one time praying with my kids at bedtime, and I noticed that all their prayers were just simple things that were probably going to happen whether we prayed or not. Give us a good day at school tomorrow. Help me to do good on my tests. My kids always do good on their tests, you know. Lord, help me to, you know, be safe on, on the trip to school. You know, we pay attention. And, and God said, you know, are you not going to ask anything that only I could do? And we started asking bigger things. We started asking God to help us change the world. We started asking for God to, to, to give every child a, a parent. You know, my little boy's got a heart for orphans already at a young age. He told us that one day he's going to be a daddy to 100 orphans, you know. And he, so we've been praying that every child on earth would have a daddy. What a ridiculous prayer. I love prayers that are impossible because it lets God know you trust in him. What if your God moment, the reason you're not having more God moments is because you're asking for things that are only about you? Why don't we ask for things that are about us and so many other people? Let me give you an example of that. You remember, as we keep reading in Luke, this angel Gabriel goes on and talks to Mary. Remember her? And he tells her the most outlandish, unbelievable things. You're going to have a son, and you, you've been conceived in you, and it's by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit conceived in you, and, and it's going to be the Son of God, and He's going to save the whole world. Those are big dreams, right? What if you were the first person to ever hear that story? I mean, 2,000 years later, there's still a lot of people who don't believe that story. What if you're the only person who's ever heard it? What would you say? Would you be like, God, you called the wrong number? I, that, that, that can't be me. Or maybe you'd be like, man, somebody spiked my sweet tea last night. I thought I was drinking sweet tea. I've clearly got a hangover. You know, this is not from God. But here's what she said, Luke chapter 1, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. She knew it wasn't about her. She had a different plan, but it wasn't about her. She didn't want the ridicule, man, to, to, to be a teenage pregnant girl without a father in those days was not just bad it was dangerous she didn't want the risk but it wasn't about her she didn't think she was worthy to be the mother of of Jesus God's own son but it wasn't about her she knew there was more to what was going on in her life than just what she saw and I want to tell you God wants to do something big in your life that's bigger than you I have a good friend Steve James he goes to our church. I think he's in this service. Didn't I see you, Steve, over there? The light's kind of shining around your head there, Steve. And uh, Steve's an awesome man who roughly 20 years ago lost his precious daughter to a sickness. Tragically, 
and, and I asked Steve if I could share some of this story. And he found that his daughter was supporting an orphan in Kenya. And to just find peace, he flew to Kenya and he met that orphan. And when he was there, he saw so much poverty and sickness and pain. And, you know, so many orphans. So many people that were sick, Steve was in the medical field, that didn't have to be sick. Just a simple procedure or a little bit of care could have given them such a better life. And so while Steve was there to just try to find something for himself, God did something that was way bigger than him. He birthed a dream in his heart, a ministry to change the world. And it turns out it wasn't about his daughter, Brittany. It wasn't about Steve. It was about all those precious Africans that God loves as much as he loves all of us and how much he had for them. And so Steve started Kenya Relief. Just a Coleman boy starts Kenya Relief. And now they've seen 125,000 patients. They've done over 10,000 surgeries in rural Kenya. They brought over 3,500 doctors and nurses and other personnel to serve. They have a, a, a school with 600 plus students and a waiting, a Christian school, and a waiting list of 500 kids waiting to get in. They, they care for over 200 orphans day and night. An amazing ministry. They've given clean drinking water to thousands of kids that were drinking filthy, disease-infested water, including uh, clean drinking water and supplies to, um, to prisons over there. I was, I was in a woman's prison there, and two little babies that had been born in the prison. We had a worship service there, and I dedicated two babies in an African woman's prison, the worst place I've ever been on this planet. And there's two little babies there. It really wasn't about Steve finding peace in his heart for what he was going through. It was about something so much bigger. And, and the thing that God spoke to me this morning, it, I really believe this is a prophetic word for someone, that if you're going through something and you see what you were trying to build start to crumble around you, that's not necessarily a sign that God is not with you or that God has not heard your prayers, that may be a sign that the foundation you're trying to build is not large enough for the thing He wants to do through your life. And so sometimes when you go through a town and you see somebody tearing a building down, you think to yourself, I thought this town was growing and booming it apparently it's in decline and you find out no it's not in decline at all actually what the the vision oh man i hear this in my spirit the vision of the former leader was this big but a new leader has shown up and there's a vision that this former foundation will not uh, will not be able to handle and so we're going to tear away the old foundation and we're going to expand the borders because there's a new vision of something bigger that God wants to do in your life. I need somebody to receive that in your heart today. See, here's what you do when you come to the house of God, you can just determine, well, that was a crazy Bible thumper and he was running around up there and they did good music and it was kind of entertaining, you know, for what or you can say no, that was a prophetic word. God is still God 
God. God still speaks. God spoke to me today, and I'm going to stop crying over what was crumbling after yesterday, and I'm going to lean into what God is doing in my life in the future. That's your choice today. Who will lean into the future? Come on. Who will accept God's word for your life? I'm telling you, God's hearing it. Did you know the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord roam all over the earth to strongly support those who are His and to confirm His Word? His Word. I don't know, man. I'm not a prophet. I don't call myself anything special. But I believe those little words were His Word today. And if you accept it, God confirms it. Did you hear me? God's Word says He confirms His Word with signs and wonders. He performs His Word. He looks over the whole world to find his word and he performs his word and he confirms it with signs and wonders what if you decided today that's God's word for me man I'm receiving that and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to halfway hope I'm not going to sit back and go well we'll just see if this church thing is any good we'll, I, I don't expect anything but we'll see what happens no that's not what, that's not what it is you have to lean in that's why I told you that God moments are inconvenient God moments are uncomfortable. You get a little bit of a taste, and God says, now jump out in faith. Now walk on water. And, and for some of you, these crumbling pieces you've held on to, you need to wipe them off and step out in faith into what God has next for you.